I knew if I started my own gig that my customers would follow me. Uh, to make sure before I did it, I called all of my top guys and said, Hey, I'm thinking about going independent. Does that bother you at all? And they're like, Bo, like we don't even no. I mean, we, you know, we do business with you. We don't do business because you're Coldwell Banker Commercial or Marcus and Millichap or Siebert Ellis. Um, and as a matter of fact, when I did it, Ian, um, January 1st of 2021, I made no announcement. I made no press release, wrote no articles, sent no emails, not a single email went out to my customers of what I had done. And no one called up and said, Hey, I, I noticed in your signature, you don't have Coldwell Banker commercial there anymore. Right. I have always felt, and I believe most agents would agree that investors choose agents. They don't choose companies. Hey everybody. This is the yield coach show season one, episode 31. I am your host, Ian Brown. Every episode, we bring you dynamic entrepreneurs, real estate investors, business leaders, and inspirational guests ready to open up, share their story, the good, the bad, the ugly, so you can learn lessons, gain advantages, and accelerate your own success. Very excited about today's guest. We have Mr. Bo Beery. Yo. I get that right? Yeah. All right. Did, yeah. All right. Um, give me a second, because I got some notes on Bo I want to read in. I have six of them, a little more than usual. I don't want to mess them up. <laughs> Bo has been in commercial real estate for 24 years by my math, or this is his 24th year. Yeah. Came up marketing and masters of, uh, of science from University of Florida. Consistently ranked number one multifamily producer when he was at Coldwell Banker Commercial. Um, among the top five in the nation every year before starting his own multifamily brokerage in 2021. He's a regular speaker at industry conferences an ever-growing YouTube channel called Bono's Multifamily, love that name, and he has a book, Multifamily Investors Who Dominate. Bo, welcome to the show. Yeah, man, I appreciate it, brother. It sounds like you know Bo Jackson, because when you said Bono's yeah. Multifamily and like the name, that's like from our era. Exactly, yes. <laughs> uh, I was born in the very, 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 very early 80s, and, uh, and Bo was the man, you know. Um, that's right, he was. That damn hip just couldn't quite hang on long enough. But um, I know it. no, as a little, I, I wasn't going to say this, but as a little anecdote, I, so I have uh, a daughter who's 17, a son who's four and a daughter who's two and the four-year-old son. I, so my last name's Brown. I was like, oh, Bo Brown, that'd be a killer name. Yeah. And uh, well, his name's Connor. So there you go. <laughs> but I wanted it and I don't think we're having any more children. But if we did have another son, mark my words, I'm going with Bo. Bo Brown, I like it. <laughs> Bo Brown, baby. Yes. Well, Bo, tell us, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, no problem, man. I'm a, I'm a multifamily broker. I'm based in Gainesville, Florida. I cover the northern half of Florida. So, uh, you know, Polk County is kind of my southern border, and I go all the way up to Tallahassee, Jacksonville, and everything in between coast to coast. I do conventional apartments, and I do student housing, anything over 10 units, um, my bell curve of closings is usually between 20 and 200, 20 and 250. Um, and we just brought on a, uh, a junior agent who's now kind of going after the under 10 unit stuff as well. We see, you know, in the markets we've studied, there's five and a half times more closings under 10 units than there are over 10 units. And so we wanted to 
add on that market as well. Um, because Lord knows anything over 50 units right now is an absolute screeching halt. <laughs> <laughs> well, so you brought it up. So I think we should step in that, you know, I, I knew we'd get there eventually, but yeah. let's just, let's just jump right into that. It's kind of the topic of the hour. I mean, sure. you're right there on the bat. You're, you're smelling the smoke of battle. And um, the rest of us are just kind of, you know, reading reports if we're not in the game. And obviously brokers are on the front lines. Um, you know, you're handling, you know, tomorrow's news. So what's going on? You know, there's no deals in the larger unit count. Um, yeah. I, I am still seeing some like kind of mom and pop st little stuff trade. But right. can, can you jump into that topic and kind of tell us what the hell is going on and why? Of course. So, I mean, you know, it, it's primarily interest rates, right? I mean, interest rates have gone up 300 basis points. They're going to go up again a little bit. And so, you know, while, while interest rates affect all assets, regardless of size, proportionally, the bigger deals are affected more from a dollar amount standpoint, right? So if you have a $20 million asset and interest rates have gone up 300 basis points, that could easily be three, $4 million, right? And so the group that owns the $20 million asset they don't need to sell, right? I mean, they're, they're earning the highest rents, the highest net income they've ever earned in their entire existence on this earth. There's no reason for them to come to market if they know that now the value of their asset has decreased. And they know the value of their asset has decreased, that, that no, one, no one's arguing that. They just don't have to sell. Versus the, the, the group that owns the 20-unit deal that's, you know, that's worth $2 million, you know, a 300 basis point, difference may be a hundred grand, 150 grand, you know, whatever it is. It's not, it's not enough to where the guy that owns the $2 million deal says, yeah, I'm not selling. Right. Um, now some have said that the number of sales are down dramatically for both under 10 and over 10, but excuse me. Um, yeah, under 10, over 10, but it's still, um, they're still down. They're still, they're still down quite a bit, but the smaller the asset, the far more they're traded. To give you hard numbers, I track every closing over two units, okay, in the entire northern half of Florida. And um, for those deals over 10 units in the northern half of Florida, I'm talking about Lakeland, Winter Haven, Ocala, Gainesville, Daytona, New Smyrna, Ormond, Deland, Deltona, St. Augustine, Jacksonville with a million people, million and a half people, Tallahassee, Lake City, and all the little podunks in between, do you know how many closings there were over 10 units in the month of November? And I'm talking about conventional, student, and affordable combined. And in, in one month, we said November? The month of November. Mm, I'm gonna we're guess. still doing December sales, so we'll know that soon, but month of November. I'll pull this right out of my you-know-what. I'm gonna say 20. Yeah, seven. <laughs> seven and there were like Just nine or ten the month before and if you think about the the life cycle of a deal is about 90 days right by the time a seller calls me and says well we want to list with you it's going to take me two three weeks to put together marketing material create a drop box all this stuff go to market go to contract 30-day due diligence 30-day close it's a 90-day cycle right and if you think about when interest rates last spiked we still have several more months Right, of very slow number of closings. This will go well into 2023 that we're going to have a very small number of closings. Right now, the under 10 unit world, you know, meanwhile, they're trading at about at about five times that amount in any one in any one city. Right, so whatever one city it is, um, actually, actually a lot more in in uh, 
in uh, like in Gainesville alone, where I'm based, uh, traditionally there's about 80 closings a year, right? In just little old Gainesville, right? So that's about seven closings uh, a month, roughly. And there were like three last month in November, right? So that's mm-hmm. that's gone down a bit. I hate, to, I hate to jump in there and cut you off. Was that was that number like in Gainesville? Was that everything from the little baby two unit on up, or was that two the ten to nine? Two to nine. Two to nine. Okay. Two to nine. Yeah. Um, to give you kind of a, a scale for the whole northern half of Florida, um, the most number of closings that have ever happened was uh, I think two hundred and seven deals, but the average is about one hundred and sixty, one hundred and sixty five closings over 10 units per year, right? So that comes out to 13, 14, 15 a month, roughly, right? And we just did half of that in November. And by the way, usually November, December picks up, right? Because people are trying to get in closings before the end of the year. So they're even slower with only seven closings. Yeah, and you had, um, what, the last bit of bonus depreciation you could grab. So you had like another incentive try and get one in the bag by the end of the year. And it was still abysmal. Interesting. That sense economically, the sellers have no reason to sell. They can, they can continue to hold on. I mean, my crystal ball says that most of 2023 will be very slow. I think towards the end of 23, beginning of 24 is when we'll see possibly our first interest rate reduction. And I think that'll be a nice boost. Usually in election years, Republicans and Democrats want something to, to be able to sort of pound their chest about. But I think 2024, things will correct a little bit. There'll be more closings. It still won't be gangbusters, you know, 2021 or 2019 even, but it'll still be a lot better than what we're going to be dealing with this year. Yeah, I, ha- I saw a, uh, an article right at the end of the year, and it was talking about, um, I can't remember if it's bigger pockets or something else, but seller strike. And I just thought it was so accurate from what I'm hearing from people that I'm interviewing and what I'm seeing in, in, in my market across different asset classes. But yeah. it really is a seller strike to your point a few minutes ago. Uh, why sell if you don't have to? You may you may or may not face the music that your value is eroding. But like you said, if it's a cash flowing asset like an apartment complex and your NOI is higher than ever, your, your rents are better than ever. Um, it's really just a, a paper loss and you can sit there and enjoy the cash flows until someone's willing to pay a lower cap yeah. rate for it than they theoretically are yeah. today. Yeah. And I think what will happen is when, when deals come back to the market for sale, um, I think, I think today's seller's expectation of what they would sell for knowing it may not be worth that, but they'll say that they'll send me Bo, you know, we'd sell, here's our price. Right. And I can't get that price. Right. I think that that value when they go to sell in a year won't be that much more. Their expectations aren't going to change. What's going to happen is the rents will now have compensated for the interest rates. And now with the rents that have gone up, the value has now met what their expectations were today. And we'll see some sales, right? Interesting. So you you see the rent, you see the rent growth, uh, lock and step or outpacing or washing out, uh, neutralizing to where Not all of a sudden basis points. But I think, I think today the interest rate increases we'll see between now and the end of the year are supposed to be much smaller. Okay. And I think that the rents will increase enough to compensate for those, even overcompensate for those so that if someone who wanted to sell today, but can't because they're not going to sell for the price that they know it's worth, will sell in a year 
because the rents will have caught up enough to where they'll sell for that. And I don't think that same seller today will dramatically raise his expectation on value. I think it'll just now have met today's expectation. I, I, uh, I tend to agree. You know, they'll have the seller will have one more year of reading generally bad headlines. Um, meanwhile, like you said, uh, rent, rent growth is going to keep ticking along. Now, that, that brings up an interesting point. Do you think there's, you know, we're both in Florida, so let's just we can kind of talk about our own backyards. Do you still see room for uh, rent growth in, in the markets you're tracking? Yeah. I mean, we just, this is where people are moving. <laughs> we got a thousand people a day still coming to Florida. Uh, we're supposed to have something like a 32%, um, uh, was it a 32% increase? I think, it was, I think it was a 32% increase by 2040 on population, which by the way, that, that, that annual trajectory is what we're already experiencing. That's been the same annual appreciation from 2010 to 2020, right? So everyone's coming here and we can't deliver enough number of units. There may be some, a couple of markets here or there that get overbuilt, right? But it'll get compensated, it'll get eaten up eventually much quicker than any other state. Um, we just can't deliver enough. And so rents are going to continue to increase, especially in markets in which it's got a high barrier to entry, like high impact fees or, um, you know, the, the commission are very anti-growth. You know, there's several, I mean, especially college markets like that to bring in market rate like Gainesville and Tallahassee. Um, and my and even parts of Miami, it's hard to bring in enough number of units. And so existing inventory just continues to increase on rents because there's nowhere for people to go. We're selling deals in neighborhoods that you don't want to be in at any time of day. And they're selling mm -hmm. for 100, 120 a door all day long when they were going for 40s and 50s and 60s like five years ago. Yeah. Do you, are you familiar with Arlington and Jacksonville? Absolutely, of course. So I owned the Caliente apartments, uh, a little 28. I tried to that. <laughs> so I bought that from Olga, uh, the, you know, the Russian landlord. And, yep. you know, she bought it from Lehman Brothers for like 400 in the downturn cash. Then I bought it from her for like, I can't, 874. Yeah. And then, we, and then we turned around and we turned around and sold it for just under 60 a door 18 months later. And, and so like I doubled her money. Then I double, you know, and then this next guy doubled mine and then he's in the, and I'm like, yes. And then he's in the market or maybe he's already sold it. I got to check. He's in the market, like a, like one thirty a door. And I'm like, Oh, Oh, you know, and what's interesting is it's not like the rents have moved that much. You know, there's been capital improvements. I know I'm just talking about one little street, one little, but still it's like a microcosm for this discussion. And I'm like, Oh my God, like the amount of money willing to chase, that NOI in that asset class is it's confounding because um, I kind of want to be back in. I still have about 100 doors just personally, but um, I'm like, I'm just that classic guy. You probably hear from people like me all the time looking for deals that were hanging around in 17 and 18 and they're just not they're just not around anymore. But, right. you know, when you could buy it 50 cents on replacement value, it was it just seemed worth doing. Yeah. So what we found is I, I just put this out on LinkedIn. I put a lot of stats out on LinkedIn. Um, the, the 2022, if you take 2022 as a whole and you take the median uh, closing price per unit, right? I don't, I don't use averages because several transactions can wait, you know, throw things way over. The median price value was actually up, I think it was 13 or 14 percent over 2020, over 2021, right? However, in the last several months, prices have been basically stagnant. 
um, and in a couple locations gone down a couple percent. So, that, so they're holding their own, right? Nothing's been going up. What's going down is the gross rent multiple. So I don't track cap rates because cap rates are just, it's such an easy thing to lie on or get into inaccurate information. You don't know what the broker, the seller are using for vacancy, property taxes, insurance, management, reserves, all those things, right? One cap rate could be a six to one guy and a 4.2 to another. But gross rent multiples is simply when you use it on a macro level, not to value any one asset. But on a macro level, it's, it's good because it's basically just price divided by annual revenue, right? Gross rent multiples have come down a good double digits, 10, 12%, meaning that um, because rents have gone up, right? The actual sale price a unit is staying stable because of rents increasing. However, the value that investors are placing on that same dollar of rent has gone down as a result of interest rates, mm. right? Just like you were so, saying a few minutes ago about the expectations getting closer and closer as the rents rise. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, Paying around a 10 and a half gross rent multiple. That was kind of where we sort of peaked at on average and now we're like low nines. Yeah, which is a which is a meaningful movement. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, and as we know, few months. And, and as we know, you also have to bring and this um, this all plays together. But not only is the rate higher, you have to bring more equity. Your LTV is lower. That's right. um, and so, if you and I want to go take down a hundred units, and it and it used to be a twenty percent down payment, and maybe now it's thirty five. You're like, uh, you know, like, uh, you know maybe that makes us think maybe we don't want to quite pay that 10 and a half multiple on revenue. Um, I'm just speculating. You're, you're in the game. So I'm just, but I definitely could personally see that. This is why only seven deals were done last month. And I expect around the same number, maybe a little bit more in December as people try to close out stuff. But I think January, February, March will be very, very slow number of closings. Commissions will be hard earned. Well deserved. <laughs> it's all good, man. If you if you did things right in brokerage, you saved up, and these are for me. I always welcome slow times after, especially such a long trajectory upward, because it allows me to do things like tighten up my CRM, my data, hire a couple people, build a different division, um, just tackle a lot of things that you know sort of get put on the on the on the side. All right, you brought up something that's on my little yellow list here. I wanted to. Talk yeah. about brokerage, brokerage world with you. Um, so you were, you know, I read off your stats coming in, you know, uh, top national and state of Florida multifamily broker for a Coldwell Banker uh, yeah. franchise, of which of which you were, it sounds like you were an owner and then or a partner and then you exited right. your own. You mind just telling the audience for what it's worth, you know, the kind of the pros and cons of going renegade in my own words and not having like the, the the overarching uh, brand recognition of a Coldwell, you know, or something like it just, yeah. uh, you've done a killer job branding yourself and I applaud you wholeheartedly, but if you could just kind of talk through some of the, you know, kind of pros and cons of where you are with that. Really good question, man. Um, I get asked this a lot. So if you are, if, if you are in a multifamily broker, meaning this is, this is your specialty, it's all you do. And most multifamily brokers who are good at what they do, that is all they do, right? They, they don't do office and retail and sell the occasional apartment complex, right? A true multifamily broker really comes down to the kind of asset you sell, right? So if I were into institutional sales, meaning Orlando, Tampa, $90 million, you know, deals that are all B class or better, right? You're going to want to be with a national brand 
for sure, in my opinion, right? There are very few folks. There's a guy named Jamie May, who I highly respect, is one of the very few independent brands who goes head to head and oftentimes crushes national brands. And he sells nothing but institutional deals, done billions of dollars in business, right? Amazing. But when you're an institutional investor, a REIT or a national, whatever it is, you can't go into the boardroom and say, I hired Bo Beery, right? To sell the $90 million asset next to Disney World. It's not going to go well, right? Even though I can market just as good as anybody and sell it just as high and bring just as many offers, right? It doesn't matter. You have to have, you know, you have to have that, uh, that backing, right? They have to have a publicly traded brokerage like a C. Richard Ellis, Marcus and Milichak, guys like that. Then there's a middle tier, right? There's a, a group that works with maybe some nationals. And then there's basically a lot of syndications, like large syndications, right? And then it's just kind of a, you know, what, you know, what's, what works for you, right? Do you want to have, do you want to have that national brand? And, and national brands on average will, will bring you more deals as a result of their brand, right? But it depends on the kind of um, broker you are and what you're after and your lifestyle and, and, you know, the oversight and all that stuff. For me, I was with Colwell Banker Commercial, which, yes, is a national brand, has thousands of agents. They're in 40-something different countries. But frankly, in the multifamily brokerage world, they were not someone who was really considered, you know, a, a major multifamily brokerage firm, right? Part of why I was probably, you know, number one in the state and top five in the nation every year, right? Um, and so for me, Coal Banker Commercial was never a group that was able to just supply me with listings each month from people who called Colwell Banker Commercial and said, hey, we have this 200-unit complex in Daytona Beach. Who's your best broker? Like, it just never happened, right? I created all of my business. And so after a period of time, it made more sense where I was making more money as a broker, way more money as a broker, than in addition to my ownership income ownership income. So I sold back to my partners, which benefited them. And it benefited me because I get to keep a larger share of what I brought home. Because even as an owner, I still paid in, right? Because we still had to, you know, we had staff and salaries and papers and copies and all those things, right? Um, in addition, I love marketing, right? That's my first degree. My second degree is a master's in real estate. So I have a marketing background. I love um, I just love the, you know, sort of video and social media and, and how to create unbelievable presence to a property and tell a story about a property and how to drive the sale price high and how to find all, I'm very digital with my CRM. And so my reach is tremendous, right? So I knew if I started my own gig that my customers would follow me, uh, to make sure before I did it, I called all of my top guys and said, hey, I'm thinking about going independent. Does that bother you at all? And they're like, Bo, like we don't even No, I mean, we, you know, we do business with you. We don't do business because you're Cold Maker Commercial or Marcus and Millichap or Sebert Ellis. Um, and as a matter of fact, when I did it, Ian, um, January 1st of 2021, I made no announcement. I made no press release, wrote no articles sent no emails, not a single email went out to my customers of what I had done. And no one called up and said, Hey, I, I noticed in your signature, you don't have Coldwell Banker commercial anymore. Right. I have always felt, and I believe most agents would agree that investors choose agents. They don't choose companies. I do agree. Yeah. And that, thank you. That was a very like candid answer. Um, 
So to kind of put it in my own words, if, you know, if you went with a large enough nationally or internationally recommend, recognized brand within your asset class, then, then, then maybe, maybe it's a yes. But like you knew what you were selling, you have the marketing expertise and acumen and your clients wanted you. They wanted Bo. It didn't, it didn't really matter. So it was a perfect fit for you. Yeah. And I have, I have no doubt, Ian, that I could, you know, if I was with a national brand that I would, I would have, I would sell more volume. I, I totally believe that. But my take home pay that goes in Bo Beery's pocket, um, the average national broker has to do between two and three times the volume to make what I make because 100% goes in my pocket and my overhead is I'm in my house and you know, my, my staff works in their homes and does their own thing. And I'm super lean and I'm able to choose which deals I do. There's no, there's no quotas. There's no one over my back. I spend whatever the hell I want to spend on whatever marketing I want to spend. I hire who I want to hire. I have nobody to answer to. I love that. Um, on a much more like infant scale, I, I, I'm somewhat like that too. I am sitting in an office that I, that I rent, but no, I mean, we've, I love being lean, nimble, very short decision tree. <laughs> and uh, it's, to me, it's just the freedom and it's rewarding on the, just to stay on this topic a little bit longer. Um, you've, I mean, you've evolved and you have some staff that, that work from home. What do you think a good, a good brokerage team looks like? What would you recommend a brokerage team be comprised of, you know? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, at minimum, the, the, the goal is you're, as you're coming up in the business and, and you, you know, let's just say you're, you're in the hundred, hundred, you start making a hundred, $150,000, right. Or, or, or the closer to $200,000, the better. The number one thing you gotta be thinking about is, is that executive assistant. That is the heart and blood of my business. Um, Tracy Ross has been with me for, I don't know, 10 or 12 years. Okay. We were together when we used to work for, a. Uh, an investment development firm for a while. And then when I broke off, I brought her over with me, but she does everything, right? I mean, she, she runs my market reports, looks up contact information, books, hotels, um, runs my website, does some of my social media stuff. Um, it's all the things that, that I shouldn't be doing, right? The, the things that I should be doing is on the phone and visiting with customers. That's the highest quality stuff you could ever do. Everything else you shouldn't be doing, right? And it's amazing how much your your you know your sort of your your output increases when you're handing off all of those things. So that's the number one thing you want to do. Then from there, it just really depends on how you want your life to look, right? As I said, as an independent, or if I was with a national, I could do three times the volume I do now. It just means you're going to have a little more hours. You're going to have some more juniors under you. You're going to have you know, you're going to have folks that make phone calls for you. You're going to have analysts. Um, you're going to have bookkeepers. You're going to have researchers, right? There are plenty of folks uh, in different markets that do way more volume than me. It's not the life I wanted. If you want huge volume and lots of sales and make tons of money, right? Staff up. Most big dogs, the nationals, have one or two analysts um, who are doing the pro forma work, the research, all that stuff. Um, they'll have one or two executive assistants. Um, then the brokers themselves has all of their staff that they'll supply. And sometimes they'll even pay the salaries of those brokers folks. Um, and they, and they crush it. Right. And, and, and the more they crush it, the more, the more business they earn from those types of investors. 
for me, I, what's most important to me is my private, is my private life. Like my hobbies, my time with my family, my whole goal every single day, Monday through Friday is I'm done at 6 PM and the weekends are mine, right? I'm big into cars. I want to be able to do that. And so I have determined 12 to 15 transactions per year is all I can handle to where I make the money I want and have the time that I want. If I decide after my kids are done with college and it's just my wife and I, and I ain't got nothing else to do, I may change. I may, I may take a few years and, and bust it, man, just kill it for the fun of it. Or I may scale back. I just don't know. But that gives me the freedom, right? But the executive assistant is probably the primary one. Um, and if, you're, if, if you get to a point where you're pulling your hair out doing your own transactions, probably one junior would be good. Right. So mm -hmm. someone who is maybe meeting with people with keys, they're meeting the inspector out of town. Um, they're meeting the appraiser, all the things that you really don't need to do to, to be there as the principal. Right. They can knock out some of those things. They can make some of the phone calls. They can look up some of the data and the phone numbers and things like that. And so your your nimble boutique operation, you're able to run with that longtime executive assistant and a junior um, and if, sorry if I missed it. Is there anybody else on your team at this time? Yeah. So then, every, so those are my and, and my wife is actually salaried with the company as well. She handles all of our books uh, and our, um, our all of our video stuff, right? So everything that's on YouTube or, or a lot of the social media videos and all that, she handles all that stuff. And then everything else, I farm out. So I'll farm out website people. Um, I farm out some um, pro forma work. So like, if I get four listings in a two week period. I'm pulling my hair out. Each deal takes me 12, 15 hours to underwrite minimum, right? I don't want to lose the listing because I'm taking too long to underwrite it. So I'll call Despard Analytics. If you go to DespardAnalytics.com, it's a group of guys who have um, basically underwritten for big companies and they've broken off, started their own company and you can hire them and they'll create pro formas and underwrite stuff and do rental comps for you, sales comps for you. They create marketing packages, all kinds of things. So when I'm busy, sometimes I'll hand over things to Val Despard and he'll knock out a couple of these things for me while I'm doing my own simultaneously. Um, I hire drivers, right? So I have a stable of drivers that drive me outside of markets, right? So when I got a, when I need to go to Jacksonville, right, which is about a two hour drive for me, it's two hours there. I need to drive around the market for two or three hours. And I got two hours back That's six, seven hours. I can't lose six, seven hours of my day. It's just not possible, right? I'll spend two weeks trying to make up six hours, right? And I want to do car stuff, not freaking catch up from six hours. So I hire drivers to take me everywhere so I can do my phone calls and my emails. Another thing about the drivers, and I, I don't, I don't personally do that, but safety, you know, um, it feels like a life ago, but in my mid to late twenties, I was, I got my certified commercial general appraisal license and yeah. And, and we, we covered as a, we were doing bank work, you know, so all up and down the East coast, all kinds of asset classes. I did a lot of hotels, but I was doing all asset classes. And um, man, I was in the field all the time. And it's, I'll tell you as a real estate professional, it's dangerous. And I don't mean it's dangerous to be on the road. What I mean is it's dangerous to be trying to look at properties, find addresses. This is back when I had like MapQuest yeah. print on my lap um, and a highlighter. But it's right. even, with today, even with today's technology, you're trying to get in there and like take in a market. And then you're looking for a sales comp or a rent comp right. or some kind of comp or constantly doing this, man. You know, your eyes are off the road so much. And so for anyone listening, this is just a you know, public safety announcement. I mean, it's 
what Bo's saying is smart. I mean, if your time is valuable and you value your safety, it might be worth getting a driver for some, when you, especially when you're going to be hitting a market and just driving and driving and driving. 20, 25 bucks an hour. Uh, you can hire Uber drivers and Lyft guys and stuff like that. They're happy to do that stuff. Interesting. Yeah, I actually hadn't really heard somebody say that on the show, but I think that's why. So it sounds like you've kind of figured out what I what I sometimes call like freedom within form. Like you seem super process oriented, like you know what your time's worth, oh, yeah. you know, like from, from CRM to content creation, you're on this podcast, you know how many deals have closed, how many deals you're going to close. I mean, you know your numbers just like cold. So, um, but by being in that form, you get your freedom, your, your car time. We were going to have to talk about your car stuff because it's That's come right. up twice now, but, uh, <laughs> uh, but, but am, am I correct to say you're, I mean, you sound very process oriented, process driven. Extremely. Yeah. Extremely. It's, 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 a, it's very regimented. I mean, I, I literally set my alarm for four forty-seven <laughs> every morning and I have, I have things I need to accomplish by certain minutes and actually becomes fun for me to be able to accomplish things by a certain exact time every single day. I, I assume you've Much read atomic, atomic Habits. What's that? I assume you've read Atomic Habits. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, good one. I just try to, I, like the habit stacking thing, like I, anyways, I'll try to take something I already do automatic and like tie something onto it. I'm horrible because like on any of the personality tests, I pull really hard towards like idea and vision and creation. But those are the guys like me that are effing horrible at all the stuff you just talked about. And so it's like that uh, that who not how book. Like I've got to like I've got to have my integrator or I'm dead. And uh, Sammy, who's producer of this show, you know she's she's my integrator. Yeah, um, that's funny. Not, so I'm a process guy, and I'm not like you. I don't have the ability to see from thirty thousand feet and have vision. So I have a coach for that, right? I've had a commercial real estate coach for. I don't know, almost a decade or more. And that's what his job is, 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 you know, sort of help me see bigger than I am, right. Bigger ideas. And then I implement processes to carry those out. The coach, that's an interesting topic. So what, give me, give me your, um, your thoughts on professional coaching and, and what it's meant to you. Oh man, I've got it in almost every facet. I have a, I have a swim coach. I have a driving coach. I have a commercial real estate coach and I have a life coach, right? I mean, it's just like, to me, it's an accelerator. And, um, you know, while yes, there's a cost to it. I mean, the, the benefit, you know, is, you know, 10, 20, 30, 50 times, depending on what it is. So my commercial real estate coach, um, you know, I've had one since, I think it's been 2012 is when I first hired. And at that time, the reason I hired a coach was because, I was, I was averaging 82 deals a year. Now they weren't at that time, they weren't all multifamily, right? I was doing office and retail and different stuff, but a lot of multifamily and I was working evenings and weekends and pulling my hair out. I hired a coach just because I want to get my life back. Right? Like I just, I just wanted to get under 50 hours a week and I was fine making the same amount of money. And so hiring a coach kind of helps you you know, like I said, see bigger. So we decided, okay, we need to start, you know, concentrating. We're going to do just multifamily. Here's the markets we're going to cover based on the number of closings, um, you know, and just, and just implementing processes and help me hire people. And, um, you know, it's the same thing on the multifamily investing side. I mean, you've got to have someone to, especially as a new person, it's very difficult to win any deal as a newbie. I mean, because, you have to, you know, all your competition owns units, has equity, has debt relationships, has broker relationships, 
when you call up a broker and say, Hey, my name is so-and-so I'm new to this. Saw that 35 unit deal you have over there. Like the broker's already thinking, Oh no, man, that ain't going to happen. Right. Cause I got, I got nine offers already. And seven of these guys are, are monsters, right? So the best thing you can do as a new investor is hook up with a mentor because when you make that phone call, you can still be new, but now you're saying, Hey, yeah, my name is, um, my name is Bo. So my partner Ian and I, we own a hundred units together in in Jacksonville and Tallahassee and Daytona beach. And we heard you were the man there, um, in the Northern half of Florida. We'd love to get on your list for new listings. Um, here's our criteria, right? Whole different conversation, same person, right? Um, but it's super important to have that, that mentorship, that coaching. Yeah. And I, I appreciate you, you know, kind of mentioning all the different coaching you're getting, you know, personally and professional. Um, I consider myself very coachable, but I think I had the classic holdups. I'm in a mastermind now. Um, and I'm enjoying it going to a conference in Louisville. It's for real estate capital raising, which I picked an area that I, that I, um, don't feel strong in. So I was, I kind of jumped into one. I'm trying to make a, a weakness of strength. Yeah. Because I'm really, I mean, you already know my background, uh, legal appraisal, some yeah. brokerage, and then just one-off investments with a partner, one at max and a close friend. So I've kept it all like close to my chest. I've never gone and like knocked on doors or approached strangers or pitched a deal to strangers. I shouldn't say never. I mean, I have, I have to some degree, but I was like, well, how am I ever going to do the next echelon of deal? I can't, I mean, I run out of my own money. I only have so many friends. So I was like, why don't I, why don't I jump into a, like a capital raising mastermind and at a time when I know it's kind of slow. I mean, we, like you said earlier, transactions are slow. We'll see what 2023 looks like. Seemed like the perfect time to kind of put some arrows in the quiver and sharpen some tools. So, no doubt, man. but I, I'm really liking the accountability from it because, you know, you, you captain your own ship. I captain mine. It's like, it's great. And you have all this freedom, but like there's without a coach or mastermind or direction, you know, no one's really telling you what to do. There's no accountability. So you, you can, I can, I'll speak for myself. I can meander off course pretty easily. <laughs> the two main holdups people have with, with coaching is cost. And why would I hire this guy when I do better than him? Or, or you know, what, what does he know that I don't? Right. And the, the two answers to that is number one on cost. There's no way that a coach can be in business for any number of years or a coaching company or whatever it is. They can't, can't have been in business five, 10, 15 years if they weren't returning at least that amount of money back that you invested back in value. It wouldn't happen, right? The reality is they're going to return multiples, okay, from the ideas. The, the thought that you can go through an entire year of phone calls and meetings or whatever with this folks and not do one more deal, even in a five-year period, if you did one extra deal as a result of coaching, it would pay for coaching for 2,700 years, right? And in terms of whether or not why, you know, one of the things that was my holdup, you know, okay, 10 years ago was, you know, I'm making all this money. Why would I hire a guy to tell me how to make more money in brokerage? If he was any good at what he'd do, he'd be in brokerage, right? That, that was my stupid cocky mentality. The reality is, is how many overweight coaches coach the greatest athletes on the planet in the NBA and in the NFL, right? So they're following systems. And, and they're also, you know, these are folks who are, who are coaching some of the best in the world at what they do. And all those ideas and things they're learning in that coach's head are able to sort of bring on to you the experiences they're seeing from different brokers from around the world and what they're doing or different investors, whatever the case may be. And so you're just, they're just a, you know, sort of a sponge of incredible information and you're, and you're buying that system. 
I love it. I'm only pausing just because I'm thinking. No, I, I think we're going to leave it at that. But I, I think there's I, I, so many people have hesitation about uh, paying for coaching. I'm not trying to plug any particular any particular person's program, but I, you know, you talk to so many people that are on the cutting edge of what we do, and almost all I can't think of one that doesn't say, "Oh, I had I've had a coach the whole time." You know. Right. Um, <laughs> you know, I'm interested. You know, in your bio, you have this this multifamily investors who dominate, and you you kind of are a guide. You have this YouTube channel with education. You're on this podcast, and you've been on many podcasts. Um, tell us a little bit, if you will, about the the book you wrote, maybe why you wrote it, and um, kind of a little nutshell. Sure. So, you know, being in the business in the brokerage business for over 20 years, you, you know, you get to see a thing or two, right? Like the, like the insurance commercial says, you see a thing or two. Um, and, you know, the vast majority of the time I see a, a lot of investors who could do things better or they're just doing things totally wrong. And then for that entire career, I've, I've watched the same investors kill it year after year. And it's a very, very small percentage of who I call elite investors that every year they're doing 10, 15, 20 deals for 10, 15, 20 years, right? Anyone can be, can get lucky for two, three years in a row, especially in an up market and kill it, right? Um, but if they do the wrong things along the way, eventually they'll stop seeing less deals from brokers. Other investors will stop wanting to do deals with them for whatever, for, for the different reasons that, that occur. But the guys who are consistently every year putting out you know, doing a number of transactions that all the brokers bring deals to, right? There was a difference. And I thought to myself, you know, this is never, this is something that, that brokers never tell these investors that are doing it wrong. And other investors don't tell these guys they're doing it wrong. Right. And so I just wanted to spell out, like, here's what the most elite guys in the world do. Like I get to see as a broker, like other investors can't call up other investors typically and say, Hey, I saw you bought 15 deals last year. Tell me exactly what you did. Right? It doesn't, doesn't happen as much, but brokers get to see it. We, we, we have the sort of the, the behind the scenes workings of, you know, where their equity comes from, what, what their debt relationships are, who the brokers they do deal with, what their pain points are, how they negotiate, right? Um, you know, what, when they can be taken up in price and when we know they're bluffing or not, um, you know, how they, how they interact with their staff, how their property managers are. I mean, there's just we get to see all this stuff because we, we, we work with every one of these human beings on their team as we do transactions, right? And so um, my coach was always pushing me, Bo, you got to write a book. You got to write a book. And I kept putting it off for two or three years straight. And I'm just like, I just don't have the time. I was just, I'm just not going to happen. And so finally I said, okay, I'll do it. And I, I took, uh, it, it only took three or four months to write it. It was, you know, months and months after that to actually get it on Amazon and Audible and Kindle. But the gist of the book is this is that it's all about um, networking with brokers and reputation. And so if you think about, if you think about how to be most efficient in, in the multifamily investment business, you can either be the investor who you know, uh, tries to reach a seller directly at the perfect moment in their life where they would, you know, where, um, you know, that they would actually entertain an offer from someone they don't know at all, never heard from before, and somehow sell it at a discount to you before going to market. To find someone like that who's, who's, who, by the way, is also naive enough to not hire a broker and get 15 offers in two weeks, okay, to get someone like that to sell to you, 
is so much harder to do than spending that same amount of time networking with every multifamily broker in the market you work with in an automatic cadence, which I teach in the book, so that when you come into your office every morning, instead of trying to make a phone call directly to a seller to try to convince them to sell to you and they don't have any idea who the hell you are, right? You have an inbox full of emails from brokers on listings that haven't come to market yet and voicemails and texts from those brokers on, hey, Ian, dude, I just got a call from a seller who's thinking about selling. He hasn't even sent me the financials yet. He wants me to do the BOV. As soon as I do the BOV, you know, I'll let you know whether or not he's coming to market. But I just want to tell you what the address is so you can start thinking about you know, what you think the value is, what you think the rents could be, what you think renovation costs are going to be, which is why when I come to market three weeks later, it's why there's 15 offers in four or five days oftentimes. It's not because they're geniuses. They got a three-week head start oftentimes, right? Mm -hmm. They know the market so well, right? And so the elite investors, they've created essentially a system. Everyone does it differently. I teach a way that I know a few people do it, but I think all people should do it in the book, which is you need to buy a CRM. You need to enter in every single broker that exists in the market, even the ones who you don't like, even the brokers you don't like, even the brokers who aren't productive, even the brokers who do mostly retail but sell two or three multifamily deals a, de a, de a year. You put them all in your system and you create an automatic cadence every 30 to 60 days based on the type of broker they are that you're going to touch base with them. Right. And it's you're trying to add value in their lives and, and eventually you become friends and you talk about family and sometimes you're doing hobbies together on the weekend. And you can imagine that very small number of elite investors, Ian, who month after month for 10, 15 years straight are calling those same 60 or 70 brokers year after year. Who the hell do you think I think of the second I get a call from someone? I'm calling Ian, who every other month is calling me and adding values, telling me about what his rents are doing or about deals that may have sold that I don't even know about or renovations that he did that increased rents. Like all the things that we want to know as brokers, like the more knowledge we have, the more value you can add in our lives, right? Instead of calling every two weeks and saying, hey, Bo, you have anything I can buy? Hey, Bo, you have anything I can buy? Hey, Bo, you have anything I can do a BO that I can make an offer on? Like that's what everybody does, right? The brokers remember the ones who are enriching their lives and who, of course, pay the right price, close on time, don't retrade, don't make a fool of themselves, right? It seems, seems easy, but it's not over a long period of time. And so yeah. the book tells you step-by-step step how to do this program so that you're showered with listings by brokers before anybody knows about them. And, and, the, and the last part, Ian, is that what, 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 I, what I encourage investors to track is what I call the love factor. And the love factor is total number of closings, right? Or excuse me, it's a, it is the, um, the total number of, of closings that have happened in a market, right? As, as the denominator um, divided by the total number of deals you've seen. So for instance, if I showed you, Ian, in Jacksonville, that there were a hundred closings of 50 to 150 uh, unit market rate deals that were built after 1980, which is your investment criteria. And I showed you a hundred of those and you went down that list. And over the course of the 12 month period, you only recognize ever even hearing about 12 of those. You suck. 
right? You're, you're not networking with the brokers. You're not putting out a reputation out there. You're not closing. You're doing a whole bunch of different things wrong if you only saw 12 of 100 closings of the exact kind of deal you did that you'd like to do. So the whole goal is to see as many of those avatar type closings as possible. And the most elite investors in the world aren't any smaller, smarter or richer than most investors. They're just seeing more deals than you. What would be if you could give an example, like I'm an investor, I call Bo and I don't want to just be like pulling on your shirt tail. Do you have any deals? Do you have any deals calling every two weeks? I want to bring value to you as a busy. You know, I consider you a high end, your top of your game. Um, a multifamily broker, what would what would be an example of something that I could do to bring some value to you yeah. and stay with mine? Lots of stuff. Like, for instance, let's say you added a pickleball court on your 30 unit deal. And you're like, you're like, we were able to, you know, the, the, first of all, the existing residents we had, but we had three people who renewed and said they love the pickleball court. Or you added some other amenity that drove up rents. Um, you figured out a way to cure bad debt better. Um, you heard about a closing that your buddy did. It just closed yesterday. I probably wouldn't even know about it because I didn't, I didn't, I didn't see it in the public records yet. Hey, Bo, my buddy over here closed over in, in, in Deland for $106,000 units, the one over on 1234 Main Street. Um, you know, uh, it, could be, um, uh, uh, it could be referrals like, Bo, hey, we just, we just bought a new deal in Tallahassee. It's our first one in that market. We just hired so-and-so management company. You know, we've had them for 90 days now. You know, listen, I know that's early, but they've been phenomenal. Really love their record keeping if you're looking for a referral. Love those, right? Um, I mean, there's just, you know, stuff like that. Same thing with vendors, but we used this contractor. They were great. You know, their cost was so much lower. Um, those are awesome things. Um, I have folks that, you know, send me articles about, you know, economic forecasts that are really short reads, right? I don't want to read 16 pages, but little short reads, some interesting things. And they'll go in their yellow highlighted. Hey, Bo, I, I read this article, kept it real short for you. Here's read the, you read the yellow highlights on things that, that I saw. And, and the investors that I do a lot of deals with that I'm close with, you know, they know that I'm, you know, that my different hobbies and things that I like. So they'll send me articles, you know, and like, I, I like to swim a lot, right? I like to exercise, I like to go to the beach. We talk about, I like cars. So just sometimes they'll just text me, hey, Bo, so this article, thought you'd love it. It's just little touch points that like, yeah. you know, is more than, hey, you have anything I make an offer on, right? Yeah, they're not needy. Yeah, they're not just you know, bothering you and tugging on you. Yeah, no, that makes sense. So they're bringing, you know, education, um, insights, ideas. And by the way, it's not a broker thing, Ian. This is just the way the human mind works, right? I mean, people who are yeah. enriched by others, they want to enrich you back. When you enrich me over and over again, you're who I'm thinking about as a human being when I get a listing. Mm -hmm. And it ties into what, you know, what you've become so good at. You know, your emerging and growing YouTube channel. You wrote your book. You're, I mean, you're adding, adding value everywhere you can on this show, everywhere you can. Yeah, I love it. My whole mantra is, you know, listen, you know, Ian, you yourself and every investor that may be listening to this, you know what I do. I'm a multifamily broker. I only make money. I only feed my family when I sell a deal. I don't have to keep asking you, do you want to sell? Do you want to sell? Do you want to sell? Or you should sell, you should sell, right? What I can do, what my game always is, I want to add so much value constantly, right? 30 touches in a row. I want you to know that when you see my phone, when you see my name pop up on your phone, I'm not calling to ask you to sell. I'm getting ready to add value in your life so that when you and your partners are now thinking about selling, I am all that occupies your mind, right? 
But if I call you eight times in a row over the course of a year and you're like, man, the market's hot, man. I just saw this deal that closed next to you for $120,000 a unit. Yours is even better. You should sell. Eh. You know, I know 18 other brokers have done, done that to you that week. It's funny. I, you know, a lot of people are just going to be listening, not watching. We, we are recording this in video. But when you held up your phone like that, it made me think. We, we all know when we look at that, that name coming across our phone, is this a giver or is this a taker? You know, it's, right. it's, it's one or the other. And, and like you said, yeah, when you see Bo, you want to know that this guy's bringing value when I answer this call. Right. Yeah. All right. Well, as we, you know, we're kind of coming up on the hour and um, I've really, really enjoyed this interview. Let's talk just a little bit about, you know, you, you mentioned cars and beach and family, but let's talk, yeah. you know, kind of twofold, maybe your, maybe your goals for this, for this 2023. I know we're kind of possibly looking at a slower year, but still maybe some process yeah. goals. And then, uh, you know, what you do when you're not crushing it. Yeah. Uh, goals for 2023, uh, you know, I, I doubt I'll, I'll get my 15 transactions this year, right, and, uh, of the types of deals that I do. That would be my goal, though. I'd love that. Our businesses, and as you know, as, as a broker as well, you know, you can go two months with extremely little activity and all of a sudden, kaboom, right? So I just had a kaboom. I just now I got four four listings that are coming to me all of a sudden, right? So it could turn out to where I get my 15 deals in. That's my goal. But my other goal is to to um, sort of become an expert at some of my other processes that I've been putting off because things have been so busy, right? So I'm helping I'm helping this associate build his under 10 unit business. That'll be a nice little thing that can that can float through down economies. What we've studied is that these smaller deals under 20 units. They trade way more in down markets, and I've never had that part of my business built, right? So I want to build that so that we have we have that buoyancy. Um, I want to I want to um, sort of expertly um, build out some of the data points in my CRM. So little things like I have every single property record that exists in all kinds of detail. You can't even imagine about each property. But there's some things that are missing here and there. Like I want the exact acreage. I want to have I want to have pictures for every single one of them in my database. Um, I want to know the, uh, I want to you know, fill out the rest of some of these personal numbers and just, you know, little things don't necessarily sell me more. Right. But it's, it's like, man, that shit is tight. Right. Mm -hmm. And then my personal thing is, you know, most, most of my life is cars, right? Like I, I I'm big into Porsche. I'm big into going on the track. Um, I love auto crossing. Um, I love detailing cars. I like hanging out with my buddies with cars and going on drives. Um, we go to tail of the dragon a lot. So I just like to do more drives with friends and, and, uh, and just kind of have that, that nice free time. That's, that's what I like to do. Okay. I don't forgive me. What is an, what's an auto auto crossing? What is no, that? Autocross. That's just, um, it's another, so there's track track time, which is actually like a, like a big old track where you, you know, you, you, it's a mile and a half, two miles long. It's sometimes there's high speed straights, there's corners, right? It's, it's a little more risky. It's higher speeds. Autocross is just like, in a mall parking lot, you create a, a coned, um, you know, much shorter distance and you're trying to uh, beat each other's times. And there's different classifications of cars and stuff like that. A lot right. less intense, a lot slower, more technical corners and such. I'm just, I'm seeing like, like a high end police academy. <laughs> exactly. It's exactly what, actually, as a matter of fact, sometimes we use police academy uh, uh, parking lots. <laughs> well, what are you, uh, what are you driving? Um, well, I mean, my, I would say my, 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 probably my favorite car is I have a Porsche 911 Turbo S. Um, it's, it's one of the, it's one of the fastest cars, at least straight 
it's it's fun it's awesome on the track but they're expensive on the track so i have i also have as my fun track toy that's much less expensive is i have a 2007 mazda miata right that i bought for nine thousand dollars but i have it um i've spent a hell of a lot more than that for it to make it modified for the track you know tires and brakes and shocks and you know all kinds of stuff you can think of and so that's my fun car and then we've got you know several other ones that are um, that are, that are pretty fun as well. But those are my two ones that I main, that I, that I mainly drive. We love our toys. I wouldn't call them investments, but none of them really go down in value. They, they hold pretty good. Even my Miata like just stays there. I won't get what I, what I put into it on the track stuff, but it's, it's also still low cost. Our other cars, it is, they just stay there and that's how I buy them. I always buy them when they're, when they're at least three to five years old. Right. And, uh, and, and it just, they, they do well. Nice. I, I didn't know you could make a Miata fast, so that's wonderful. Or maybe it always was fast, but fast around I'm, the track. They're still slow in a straight line. I mean, they're okay. zero to sixty in seven seconds. I mean, right? But but when you when you get the the sort of the balancing and the shock, the coilovers, the shocks, the um, you know the uh, you know, there's just the, the the arrow kits on them, the 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 wings and all that stuff. They're they're monsters around corners and so forth. So they're fun. All right. I, I'm, I'm tempted now. Maybe when I'm in Gainesville, I'll, I'll hit you up. We'll spin around yeah, the track. Yeah, I'll, I'll definitely I'll, give you a ride. That'd be awesome. All right. Well, we're going to we're gonna take it out. Uh, where can people find you, Bo? Yeah, three ways, man. Uh, number one, as you mentioned in my book, Multifamily Investors Who Dominate, um, you can get that on Amazon, Audible, or Kindle. Um, my website is bobeery.com. That's B-E-A-U-B-E-E-R-Y.com. And the reason you want to go there, whether you invest in Florida or not, is you'll see all kinds of stats. And if you can master the kind of stats that I show on my website, especially for the different markets I cover, if you can master those stats for your markets, you'll be able to respond to opportunities a lot faster. Because if a broker calls you with a deal and you take two weeks to figure out whether or not you even want to invest in that market, you're already done. Like I've already got offers. Quickness is, is, is super important. And the third way to reach me is my YouTube channel. It's called Bo Knows Multifamily, B-E-A-U, Bo Knows Multifamily. I've got playlists on there for beginners, for advanced level investors. I've got analytics. Um, I've got some car stuff on there. And every now and, then, every now and then I'll put on new listings before I even show anybody else, just for fun. Very good. All right, guys. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. Be sure to share it with a friend if you did. Rate and subscribe us. It helps a lot. It helps us grow and maybe one day pick up a sponsor. <laughs> but yeah, for yeah, now, baby. yeah, baby. But for now, this is Coach Brown signing off and reminding everyone to lace it up and leave it all on the field. Field Coach out. <laughs>